you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church. I have the stirring in me here, church. So before we begin this message here, you know, as we always, as we always do in our church environments, of we've gotten this from from my pastor back in the states, and and listen, church, when we when we come together. You know, a lot of people, there's a lot of talk about vaccines and all this stuff going on nowadays. But we want to take, we want to take a Holy Ghost vaccine. We want to take a word vaccine. And because I have this sense in my spirit that, listen, church, there's, there's things that are coming up around the corner. There's things that are coming up. And some that maybe even people are dealing with right now. But we got to learn how to be a people that are preventative in everything, we need to be preventative in our, in our finances. We need to be preventative in our health walk. We need to be preventative on these things. You say, how do we get to be preventative? We speak his word. We confess his word. And listen, church, I confess these things over my life and my family every single day. But I need you to begin to come into agreement with these things. You begin to, to, to grab a hold of a confession. You know, you can go onto our website. You can find the confession that I do. I've kind of built off of it and, and, and expanded it a little bit. But, but grab a hold of confession. You say, why is that? Because speaking the word of God works. I mean, you say, how did, Jesus, how did Jesus fight off everything the adversary did when he came here on, on this earth? He spoke the word. But see, speaking the word doesn't do it. It's believing the word. And then when you speak it, things begin to line up with it. You say, well, how do I get to, how do I learn? How do, how do, I, how do I get to believe? Listen, it's through intimate union with him. The more intimate you get with him, the more you'll believe. The more you confess, the more you'll begin to believe. Amen. So listen, let's, I'm going to do our healing, our healing confession in here today. So we can take like, if you, if you will, we'll take our word jab. You say, why is that? For anything that's been trying to come against us or anything that will come against us in the future. Amen. We're going to have the word of God that will, that will push out everything that's not of him. Amen. So say this with me if you can. We say, Father, I thank you that you are still Jehovah Jireh. You're still Jehovah Rapha. You're the healer and the health unto my flesh. So Jesus, we thank you that you were wounded for my transgressions. You were bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace is upon you. By your stripes, I am the healed of God. Father, you said you'd bless my bread. You'd bless my water. You'd take all sickness and every symptom of sickness from the midst of me. So we say, bless the Lord, all my soul, All that is in me, we say we bless your holy name. We say bless the Lord, all my soul, and we'll forget not your benefits. Who forgiveth all of my iniquities. Who healeth all of my diseases. Who delivereth me from all of my destructions. Who crowneth my head with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies my mouth with good things that my youth may be renewed like the eagle's. We thank you, Father, that you have truly delivered us out of the yoke, out of the bondage, out of the power and the authority of darkness. And you've translated us into the kingdom of your dear Son in whom we have redemption through your blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Even the forgiveness of sins. Father, you lead 
we follow. You lead, we follow. Jesus, you are our shepherd. You lead, and we follow. If you're our shepherd, what do we have to fear? You didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we take a hold of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. And the same spirit, oh, we say the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, he rules, he reigns, he quickens, he makes alive these mortal bodies in Jesus' name. So we can declare, we are the healed of God. We're not the sick trying to get healed. We are the healed of God. From the crown of our head, from the soles of our feet, from the inside out. We're healed in our thought life. We're healed in our skin and our flesh. We're healed in our muscles, our ligaments, our tendons, our joints, our glands, our cartilages, our discs. We're healed in our bones and the marrow that's in them. We're healed in our veins and the blood that flows through them. We're healed in every single organ in this body. We say, mind, you are the renewed of God. You retain information. You recall information just as the Lord has designed. Eyes, you, your vision is perfect in Jesus' name. Sense of smell, you are perfected in Jesus' name. Hearing, you are healed in Jesus' name. Our sense of taste and touch, you are healed in Jesus' name. I thank you, Lord, that our teeth, they are the healed of God. No decay, no decay, no death. They are the healed of God. We thank you, Lord, that our, our gums and our jaws, that they are healed. Our tongues, they are loose to be able to speak your word. Our esophaguses are healed down to our heart and our lungs, down to our digestive tract, down to our reproductive organs, down to the smallest cell in these bodies. We're wall-to-wall -wall Holy Ghost. So we release your anointing, Lord. We confess your word driving out, purging out sickness and disease from these bodies and anyone else who comes into our presence. So we take a hold of your promises, Lord, that with long life, that with strength and divine health, Lord, you'll satisfy us and show us that salvation in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Who I feel... I feel better already. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Your word works. And we praise you for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord, somebody. Amen. We got to be people that learn how to praise the Lord. Even when you're not feeling good, we say praise the Lord. We praise the Lord even when you're tired on a Sunday morning. We say praise the Lord. Amen. Why? Because he's worthy. I said he's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your praise. I don't know about you, church, but I'm telling you, I get excited when Sunday begins to roll around. I get excited when Wednesday comes around. I get excited when we have our prayer meetings. I get excited. Whew. 
when we get to get into the presence of God. I'm telling you, I've come to this place where I'm beginning to understand what what the psalmist, what David was saying in Psalms 122, verse 1, when he said, I am glad when they said, let's go into the house of the Lord. I I am glad. He said, we look at it, oh, yeah, I'm glad. Praise the Lord. It's Sunday morning. Let's go to church. No, no, no. No, he was saying, I am so thankful. I'm glad. You know what that word glad means? That, That means he was rejoicing. Amen. It means that he was brightening up. You see, listen, church, when, when you learn, when you come into the presence of God, it doesn't matter what's been harming you, what's been coming about you, what's been trying to come against your body, what's been trying to come against your life, the mistakes you've made, all that stuff begins to leave you and your countenance will change. That's why it's so important for us to come into his presence. His, I'm telling you, church, his word and his presence will change everything about you. It will change everything about you. Amen. And not only it only change the way you dress. Amen. Not only change the way you talk. It'll change your very countenance. There are people look at you and they'll see the glow of Holy Spirit on you. Amen. We got to get into his presence to do it. When did Moses begin to glow with the glory of God? It's when he was in his presence for 40 days and 40 nights. Amen. We got to learn to get in his presence. Amen. And this, and this glory, this glow. His goodness to begin to flow through us in everything that we do. Amen. Listen, church, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for individual communion that we can have. It's, it's one of the things I probably enjoy more than anything. I love being able to, to study his word and get into his presence and pray on my own, on my own accord. Why? Because that is what gives us the ability to come into here into a corporate communion. Amen. And corporate communion is, is different than we get into our, in our personal lives of communion with him. But listen, when we, when we press into the individual place, we can bring it into the corporate place. We can bring it into the corporate place. Amen. Which is important. Amen. Why? Because not everyone is on the same intimate level that we are in. And when we dig in to find it on the individual terms, we come as a collective. I'm telling you, a church service ought to be something different than anything else you step into. Why? Because Carolina, Tamara, Cynthia, Barry, you know, Pamela, you know, Shola, everyone, Sean, they, we bring our supply. We bring the presence that we carry into, into this place. And, and listen, the angels want to come. They show up. They're in, see, you may have some empty seats here, but the angels are coming in and they're sitting in these seats. Why? Because they, they want to get into his presence. They, they want to hear his word being preached. Why? Because we're training them up. See, there are things they don't understand that we walk in right now because we have actually God Almighty living on the inside of us. We are teaching them what it's like to be. So why in the world aren't we rejoicing? Why aren't the Listen, church, we have something that, that the prophets of old, they would trade places in your, with you right now in a heartbeat. King David himself would say, man, I just, I'll, I'll, I'll take Pamela's place. I'll take her place. You get to have the glory of God in you, not just coming upon you. Ooh, Ooh, church. I'm telling you, that's worth worth getting excited about. I mean, so I'm going to tell you something, church. If if you're not getting anything out of a church service, let let me tell you, allow the Holy Spirit to beckon you, beckon you into a lifestyle of prayer, a lifestyle of communion, a lifestyle of studying the Word of God, a lifestyle of personal intimacy with Him. 
And then you say, well, well, I'm doing those things. I'm, I'm in it. I'm in it. Well, listen, for all the other people that may be listening online, listen, if you're in those things and you're still nothing, not getting anything out of a church service, you need to go to a church that Jesus actually shows up to, that Jesus comes amongst the people and receives the worship of his people. You say, well, how do you say that? Oh, I thought all churches are, are equal. I mean, doesn't Jesus show up to every church? No, no, he doesn't. He doesn't. I mean, I'm not being critical on churches, but I'm, gonna tell you, I'm telling you the truth. Is, I mean, we're teaching out of, of the, the seven letters of the church and the revelations. No, Jesus doesn't show up to every church. His presence doesn't show up into every church. Amen. We got, we got to be people that, that are so hungry after his presence, amen, that we, that we, that we can't, we got to be in a place where his presence is. Amen. Because I'm telling you, listen, just like I've been to people's homes, I go, I've, got, I've been to Christians' homes and, and there is no presence permitted there. I've also been into churches all over Ireland, all over the United States. And just as like with people's homes, sometimes it's the same way in the church. He's just not permitted there. He's just not permitted there. And I'm not just talking about these old religious churches, the religiously steep churches. I'm not just talking about them. At least sometimes when you walk in them, you can sense the fear of God in those places. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about most of these modern churches that have people stacked up to the rafters with people. But they don't recognize that Jesus has never been in there. That Jesus has never been in there. This is why I love this church. Because I don't think I've ever been in here when the Spirit of God has not came and rested in this place. Sometimes at greater measures than others, yes, absolutely. Amen. But I've never, I've never been in this place where he hasn't, where he hasn't shown up. But I'm going to tell you something, church. I got something stirring in me on the inside of me, and I'm telling you, although Jesus loves to come in and show up and his presence loves to show up, listen, church, I have such a sense that Jesus is not satisfied. You know, I get a sense that a lot of people are satisfied, but Jesus isn't satisfied. Amen. Yes, I'm talking about the body of Christ as a whole, but I'm talking about our individual churches. I'm talking about the dog. I'm talking about here in Derry. He's not satisfied. Amen. He wants more. He wants more. Amen. It's not that his presence isn't here, but he wants more. He wants to be able to pour out more. He wants more of you. See, if there's one thing I found about my king, amen, one thing I found about his spirit, amen, is that he is rarely content with where we're at in our relational, our relational walk with him. He's rarely content. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's like you, you come into this place and you feel him drawing and you, and you finally get into this place where you have a touch from heaven like you've never had before. And you're like, thank God I've arrived. Man, I've been working, I've been striving, I've been getting in there. Praise God, I find, I'm finally there. And that lasts for about a couple days. It lasts maybe for a couple weeks, maybe even a month. And then, and then you feel that tug, I want more, I want more. And then you step into that, you struggle, you strive, you, you study the word, you're in praise, you're, you're praying, you're doing everything you know how to do because you're wanting more of him. And then you finally get there and you're like, man, I think I've got there, I've finally gotten there. And then a few days later he says, no, I want more, I want more. Because he's not content as the scriptures tell us in James chapter 4, 5, he, what, he's a jealous lover. He wants more, and he wants more, and he wants more of you. He doesn't want less of you. 
Praise God you've been saved for 50 years, 20 years, 5 years, 1 day. You know, praise God for those things. But he doesn't want to stop there. He wants more. But we gotta, we got to be willing to give him more. Amen. you got to be willing to give him more. Just like you've, you've heard me say, it's just like in our marriages. You know, it's just like in our marriages. You know, the world tells us, you know, you know once you get married, you know, and you've been married 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, man, you don't need as much time. You don't need as much communication. You don't need as much intimacy. You don't, you don't need those things. You, you, know, you, know, you, you can go do whatever you want. Listen, you, those, things, those things have been taken care of. Well, listen, church, that's why the world has a 52% divorce rate. Because they don't, they don't understand that you don't need more. When you, when you come in union with something, you need more. You don't need less. I mean, because of that less attitude, this is why they have a 52% you know, divorce rate. And if they end up staying together, they end up being roommates and not lovers. You say, why is that? Because they fell out of love with one another. I'm telling you, I've heard that so many times it makes me sick. Oh, I just fell out of love. You know, we use that, we use that term like, like, it's like you tripped over a stump walking and you just fell out of love by accident and fell in love with this one over here. No, no that's, not, that's not the way things work. Love's a choice. Love's a choice. You've got to choose to love your wife or your husband. You've got to choose to do it. You've got to choose to love your children. You've got to choose to love your neighbor. You've got to choose to love your church. You've got to make the choice and decide to love these things. Otherwise, you'll make the choice not to. You're going to make the choice to fight and go after what you love. You're going to make the choice to fight and get out. Amen. But see, just as you make the choice to love your bride, just as you make the choice to be intentional, to feed the flame of intimacy, church, we, gotta, we have to make the choice to love Jesus. It just doesn't happen. You got to make the choice to love Jesus. You got to make the choice to be intentional, to begin to feed the flames of this fire that He has for us. You, you got to be intentional about it. It just doesn't happen. We don't grow in intimacy by just snapping our fingers or falling into it. No, you got to be intentional. You have to be intentional about these things. You say, how in the world am I, can I be intentional about feeding the flame? What does that even mean? You need to be intentional about your time, what you're giving your time to. You need to be intentional about your desires, what you're allowing to, to birth the desire. You need to be intentional about what you allow your eyes to look at. We've got to be intentional to not give our gaze to an adulterous lover. We've got to be intentional. You know, Pastor Christopher Allum, he is a, he's an amazing minister. Uh, you, know, you could say he's an apostle to, to Africa and Asia, and he's planted thousands and thousands of churches, and he's done amazing things. Well, he was preaching at our, our conference there in Galveston, at Island Church in Galveston. He was preaching there, and he had this amazing, amazing message on the five quarts of blood. If you haven't listened, to, listen, go, go find them on podcast, go find them online and listen to it. It's a powerful message. It's a powerful message, but he made this statement. He says, the fire never falls, but on a blood-soaked altar. He says, you go look, you look from Genesis to Revelation. He says, the fire of God never falls, but on a blood-soaked altar. 
So if you want the fire of God, this is what we talk about. Well, we want the fire. We want the fire. We want the fire. Listen, you want the fire? You know, you got to allow, number one, yourself to, to get redeemed, to, get, to have the blood come over you, allow the blood of Jesus upon you. And then we have to do what Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, and offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. He says, this is your reasonable service. You say, how in the world am I holy right now? Because of his blood. Because of His blood, you can now put yourself on the altar and say, listen, I'm here. All of my desires are gone. All my wants are gone. Everything that I have is gone. All I want is you. I'm offering myself. It's the only thing I have to offer you. And you know what happens? The fire comes down to consume it. The fire will come down to consume it. See, just like the priest in the Old Testament... See, everyone's like, oh, the Old Testament, man, that's not for us. I don't even read through that, man. It means nothing. No, the Old Testament means everything. Amen. It's revealing everything that Jesus has done for us now. Just as the priests were going and the fire came down the temple, the priests were required to keep the fire going. Does anyone know that you are a priest? Not because I'm calling you, because the Bible calls you it. And Peter, he says, you are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a peculiar, you are an exclusively possessed and owned people. You are a royal priesthood. You don't need to wear a collar to prove out you're a priest. But what does the priesthood do? It tends to the fire. It tends to the fire. It keeps that flame burning. But see, if we don't keep the flame burning, you know what happens? It burns down to embers. It burns down to embers. And, and if you don't mind the embers, it, 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 it dwells off to be nothing. Amen. And I can hear, I can hear people, even as I say that, I'm, I'm sure they're probably online, you know, but the people, as I say that, listen, all I, Pastor, all I got is embers left. All I got is embers left. I, you know, I don't know what to do. Well, I say, praise God, you still got embers left. Why? Because one ember, one ember, just like one ember from a cigarette in the U.S., I'm telling you, it can go off and it can start a forest fire that consumes thousands and hundreds of thousands and hundreds of thousands of acres from one ember, as long as it has something to feed. As as long as it has something to feed on. So I say, church, allow, allow that ember, allow that flame, allow that inferno that's on it, allow it to get fed. Allow it to get fed. Allow it to get fed. Allow, allow that ember to burn uncontrollable and out of fire. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We got to allow these things to burn. Mm-hmm-hmm. We got to allow these things to burn, whether you realize it or not, church. This is what Jesus is talking about here to the church at Laodicea. This is exactly what he's talking about. He's given them a rebuke. He's given them encouragement. Why? Because they only have a wee ember left. And it's about to go out. He's given them something. Giving them something. He's trying to rebuke them. Trying to get them off the current path they're on. So they can begin to feed and feed that fire that God has placed on the inside. Why? Because we have such a wonderful, wonderful bridegroom. He'll never leave us into the place or leave us into the place where we walk or get succumbed by spiritual 
mediocrity. He'll always bring forth confrontation. He'll always bring forth confrontation to get us out of that place. You say, why is that? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. Oh, I don't like rebukes. Well, well we're, we're rebukes come with love. Training comes with love. Hmm? Training comes with these things. It won't allow you to stay. It won't allow you to go off the cliff. No, it'll do everything it can to stop you. This is, this is why he tells us here in, in Revelations chapter 3, what is that, in verse 19, I believe it is. It's still talking to the church at Laodicea. He says here, he says, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. As many as I love, I rebuke and I train up, I chasten them. He says, so be zealous and you can repent. Why, why can we change the way we think? Why can we allow metanoia, the, the way that we think? Why can we allow repentance to come upon us? Why? Because he loves us, because he's rebuking us, because he's giving us the opportunity to say, listen, you're in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get you stirred up. I'm trying to give you something to burn. Or you, can get, you can get lit back on, on a fire for you. He gives us some fuel. He gives us some fuel to burn so that this wee ember that's about to go out has the ability to turn into a raging inferno. A raging, consuming inferno to where even the firefighters can't put it out. See, how many all know, we, we know what firefighters are in the natural, right? We had them over here while our building was burning earlier this week. Right? But see, there's firefighters, in the, there's firefighters in the spirit too. Amen. That's religion. That's your adversary. That's the world. They want to put out the fire that's in you. Amen. But when you become a raging inferno full of the glory, full of the presence of God with nothing else left, listen, it's so holy, it's so pure, it's such a fervent heat that it begins to consume everything that it touches, everything that it encounters, to where even the firefighters won't come near it. See, this is why, this is why in the Word, it, you know, it talks about the early church. It says, it says none of them would go near them, but they had respect for them. They had respect for them. They were separated. They said, oh, we're not going to go. Why? Because if I get near them, oh, everything I have is going to get burned off. So I'm going to stay away from them, but I'm going to give them honor because I know, I know something, something's different about them. I'm telling you, church, we need, to get, we need to get full and full and full of this fire. Amen. So listen, bear with me here. Bear with the Holy Ghost here. We're almost through the rebukes. Amen. We're almost through the rebukes that, that Jesus has, has for this, that he has for this church here. But, but I'm going to tell you, listen, even though we're going through these and some of these things may be tough to hear or, or you know, but we need to heed them to the warning. Amen. We need to heed them to the warnings that, that the Lord is having us. Why? Because spiritual mediocrity is the most dangerous place we can be as Christians. It can be the most dangerous place we can be as Christians. You say, why is that? Because your fire leaves, your fire ceases to exist, and you don't even recognize it. You don't recognize it. And that's a scary place to be. When Holy Spirit's not, not, not resting upon you, He's lifted off, and you don't even recognize it anymore. We want to stay away from those places. We want to stay away from those things. So we got to allow the, the Holy Spirit, we got to allow Jesus, we got to allow his word to come forth 
And when spiritual mediocrity comes, he'll come forth and confront it because there is a, a why or a fork in the road. And Jesus is telling this church here, he's telling the church at Laodicea, and, he's, and I'm telling you, he's telling people and churches all over this world, he's, he confronts them. He begins to give them a rebuke, and he says, which way are you going to go? Which way are you going to go? Are you going to go with me? Or are you going to go down the road you're continuing to go? But he confronts them to get them going back on the narrow path towards him once again. And what happens if they step back off it? He's going to confront it. Why? To give them the opportunity to go back down the narrow path once again. Amen. So listen, let's, here in, here in uh, Revelation chapter 3, Let's, 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 let's just kick off here in, in verse 14 as we have been. It says, he says, unto the angel, Jesus himself speaking, he says, unto the angel. Who is the angel? It's the, it is the pastor or the bishop or the elder or the overseer uh, of the church. He's saying, listen to me, pastor. I, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you. I'm actually rebuking you for the direction that the church is going. Amen. I love that word church that Jesus uses. It's the Greek word ekklesia. I mean, it's such a powerful word. You say, why is that? Because it's exactly who we are. I mean, it's you. He's calling you the called out ones, ecclesia. It comes from two Greek words, ek and kaleo. It means literally the called out ones. Jesus is saying, you are the called out ones, the ones that are called to change the spiritual climate of the environment you're in so the natural climate can get changed. So the natural climate can get changed, amen? You say, well, how in the world can we change the natural climate? How can we change even the spiritual climate? Church, we got to become people of prayer once again. We have got to become people of prayer. And I'm not talking about prayer that's like, oh, Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this. No, I'm not talking about the prayer petition, and that'd be the only kind of prayer life we have that's very shallow. I'm talking about prayer of intimate communion with him. That we want to pray, we want to come into communion. Why? Because we just want to be with Jesus. I mean, we want to be with him. And when you, and when you come to that place of prayer, just because you want to be with him, yes, your petitions are going to get answered. Yes, there are going to things that are going to happen. Yes, you're also going to get your marching orders. And then he'll begin to teach you how to pray, how to pray over specific things, what he desires you to pray for. He'll tell you where to go, what to do. He will show you these things if we'll become people of prayer once again communion that's all it is he's calling his people into intimate union he says under the angel of the church of laodicea he goes write these things i love this it's probably one of my favorite parts of this whole letter here he, he starts revealing who he is he says he goes say uh, write these things saith the amen the faithful and true witness the, the beginning of of the creation of God. He says, say, say these things. Say these things. I'm revealing to you, church, who have gotten off the path. Listen, this is who I am. Pay attention. I am the amen. I am the final word. I am worthy of your trust. I am the one that has given my life as an eyewitness account. Amen. I poured out my blood to purchase you as an eyewitness account. That what? That the Father loves you. That you are part of the beloved. That he, deser he desires and deserves you. Amen. He says, I am. I am the beginning of the creation of God. I am the beginning, he says, of all things. He says, without me, you can do nothing. He says, I am the amen. I am the, the faithful and true witness. I am the beginning of all things without me. Church, he says, you can't do it. 
You can't do anything that you're desiring. You can't do it. Now, you can do some of the things of the natural world. You can get in sin. You can do all these stupid things like that. But, no, but if, you want to, if you want to be the witness for the kingdom, if you want to be, you can't do it without him. You see, this is one of the hardest things I, I had to learn, as, even as a Christian, that, that I can't do the things that I wanted to do without him. It doesn't matter how tough I am, how strong I am, how, how, how stubborn I am on things. I can't do it without him. Amen. And see, this is what he's trying to tell the church. Listen, you can't do it. You think you're going in the right, you can't do it without me. You're going to be part of me. You're going to be in union with me. Hmm. You can't do it without me. He says, I know your works. Now, remember for a little bit of review here, you remember this, this word know here from last week. This is the Greek word oida. This is something that has a personal knowledge of someone, not, not intimate knowledge like uh, gnosko, but, but a, a personal knowledge, it has a personal account of something that's taken place. So what's Jesus saying? He goes, listen, I know your works. I know the things that you're doing. Why? Because he's saying, I showed up to your church. I'm not listening to the prayers of, of, of people. I'm not listening to what the angels, no, no. I personally came to your church and I've written notes on what you guys are doing. And here's my report. Here's my report. He says, you, I know your works. He goes, you're neither cold nor you're hot. He goes, I would that you'd be cold or hot. I would, I wish that you were cold or hot. But so then because you're, you're lukewarm, you're neither cold or hot, he goes, I'm going to spit you, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. He says, I wish that you were cold. As we say this, not to preach the message again, but as we, as we say this, you know, Jesus says, listen, I wish that you were cold. I used to, I, I'm like many preachers today because we don't do enough study on what the word says. We're like, oh, I wish, I wish you were cold. I wish you were complacent. I wish you were lukewarm, or, or excuse me, or, or apathetic, amen, and not lukewarm, but I wish you were apathetic and cold, and, or I wish you were hot. I wish you were one of the two. Like, like I, he's talking to the church here. He's not saying, I wish that you're far gone away from me and apathetic and not doing anything for me, not serving me anymore. He's not saying that. And he says, I wish you were cold. I wish you were refreshingly cold, like the, like the waters coming out of Colossae that you tried to pipe into your city. I wish you were cold and refreshing like that. He goes, I wish you were boiling hot with fervent heat like the baths that, were, that are in Hierapolis that, that have medicinal value. I wish, I wish you were refreshingly cold or had a healing anointing upon you. He goes, but I know your works. I've checked them out. I've taken one drink of you. And it wasn't what I was expecting. I found that you were tepid, you're valueless, you're mediocre, you're you were lukewarm. I, I, I like it better like this. Like, I took one kiss of you. One kiss. And I'm not like, and I'm not like Jacob. Amen. That would begin to, to take a kiss of one called Leah and then enter into the bed. Amen. Of, enter into, into the bed of, of, of something that doesn't belong to me. Amen. Become in union, in union with a counterfeit intimacy. Because I'm not like that. I took one, I, I, I had one kiss and I rebuked it. He goes, that's, that's not mine. That's not me. That's not my bride. That's not the bride I have. I only took one kiss to realize it wasn't you. He means recreated you to be. 
He says, and because you aren't, he goes, I vomited. I spit it out of my mouth. I spit it out of my mouth. Now, as we remember, church, as I'm saying these things, we got to understand Jesus isn't talking about rejection of salvation here. He's not saying, I'm, I'm cutting off your salvation because you're not perfect. You're not doing the things I want you to do. You've lost your fire. That's not what he's saying here. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I took a drink of you. I kissed you. <laughs> and you're not, you're not what I was expecting. Have, have, any of you, have any of you ever taken a drink of something that you enjoyed? But when you took a drink of it at a particular time, it didn't taste right and you spit it out of your mouth? You know, I was, I was in a... I was with some of my ministry mates, and we're at a church in North, Northeast Houston at a, at a mentor of mine. His name is Pastor Ben. We're at his church, and there's you know, you know, probably 30 of us out there working. He has a huge church facility out there with like 30-something acres, 40 acres, and, and we're getting it prepared to have a, a, a big conference meeting, conference gathering out there. So we're just you know, you know, trimming up everything, I mean, it was, and it was hot. It was in the middle of summer. It was hot, amen, like it, like it gets in Texas. It was hot. Amen. I'm sitting there working and, and some, of, some of my mates, they come and say, hey, Penn, do you, yeah, do you want something to drink? We're going to go up and get something to drink. You, you want anything? I was like, yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, well, what do you want? And I said, just give me some water. And they're like, okay, praise the Lord. You know, so they, 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 they went up and they, they, they got their drinks. They, they got my drinks. And, you know, they, they, you know, in Texas, you know, we do big cups. You know, we don't do these little cups. You know, we, we do big cups. Why? Because we fill them all the way to the top full of ice. I mean, we don't get like the tongs. Like, if you ever notice that over here, Shola, they get like tongs and they get one drop of ice, two drops of ice, and you're good. Man, that's not, that's not how we do things back in tech. We, you get the whole cup filled to the top full of ice. And then they begin to pour water in it. Now, this water they poured in back in, back in this time, one of my favorite drinks was a, was a drink called Topo Chico. It was, it was a, it's a Mexican uh, Mexican sparkling water, and it's super, super bubbly, and I, and I really like it a lot. And so I was all that I drink, so they're trying to be a blessing to me. And they're like, you know, we're going to go get him Topo Chico. We're going to fill this big old cup full of ice and give it to him. And, they, and I went up there to, to take a drink, and I looked in it because, you know, you got to watch your mate sometimes. So I looked in it to make sure it was water. And then I took a drink, and when I took a drink, and, you know, I took, a, you, know, you know, when you're thirsty, you take a big gulp. You know, so I took like one gulp, two gulps, and by the time that second gulp was going down, you start throwing bubbles popping off on my mouth and popping off in my chest and my stomach, and I spit it out. I was like, Phew. I was like, what is it? What did you do to this? They're like, oh, nothing, nothing. We didn't do anything to it. It's just just Topo Chico. And I looked back in it again, and I took a little sip, and it was just Topo Chico. And I began to drink it again. Amen. But see, I didn't spit it out of my mouth because I didn't like the sparkling water. But it wasn't what I expected. I was expecting the refreshing qualities of still water. Right? And something else hit my mouth, even though I liked it at one time. Amen. It got spewed out. Amen. Because it wasn't what I expected it to be. And this is what, this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, I've taken a drink of you. I love you. I love you. I've taken a drink of you. And you're, you weren't what I was expecting. I was expecting to come down and have a drink and be refreshed. Have that healing anointing come out. You weren't what I was expecting to be. You become rancid, so I spit you out of my mouth. So what is it that made them become lukewarm? What is it that made them become distasteful, valueless? What Jesus begins to tell us. Here in verse 17, 
He says, because you say, I am rich and I'm increased with goods and I have need of nothing. He goes, you know, it's not that you are wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Amen. Here in the, in the Passion Translation, I like how it says it here. It says, he says, for you claim, you say, I'm rich and I'm getting richer. I don't need a thing. He goes, yet you are clueless. Ooh, that's a strong word. He says, yet you don't even have a clue that you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, you're barren, and you're naked. So here out of the King James, it says, because you saith. Now, why does he say because? Why? Because Jesus, remember, he has, he has a personal account of what's going on here at this church. He says, because I've come down here, I've taken notice of what's going on in the house. I'm about to give you the reason why your spiritual climate is in such poor shape. He says, you say, he says, you say that you are rich. He says, listen, I say, I notice you say a whole lot of things about yourself. You say it. But just because you say it doesn't mean it's true. And you see, I, just like today, I hear a whole lot of churches, a whole lot of ministers, a whole lot of Christians saying things. But just because they say them doesn't mean they're true. And this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, I, I know I've been around you. I have an eyewitness account. You say a whole lot of things about yourself. That really isn't, really isn't accurate. It really isn't accurate. You're not quite as good as you think you are, is what he's trying to tell us. He says, you say, I am rich. You say, I am rich. I'm abundantly supplied in everything that I'm doing. I'm so comfortable because of all of the hard work. I mean, I built up all these extra barns and I've stuffed them full from everything, all the hard work that we have done. You know, I'm telling you, if you, if you look back in history, you'll, you can read about, this, about the city of Laodicea. The city was so rich. They had an earthquake come into, come into the city, and it, and it did a lot of damage into the city. And Rome came, and, and Rome was like, listen, this, this city is so great. This city is so wonderful. Listen, listen, listen. Let us, we're going to give you money, and we'll help you rebuild your city. And the Laodiceans replied to him. They said, who do you think you are? Do you think we need your help? We're the Laodiceans. We'll, build a, we'll rebuild our city ourselves. We don't need your help. And they've rebuilt their city by themselves without any money, without any finances, without any help from the Roman Empire. Why? Because they were wealthy. Amen. But see, just as the culture of this city, this arrogant posture of the city, the church began to get the same posture. Because, because the city had great wealth and the church had great wealth. Amen. They begin to, to flow into the same type of posture of spiritual arrogance simply because of the wealth that they have. Now listen, church, I've seen, I've seen spiritual arrogance in the things of finances and prosperity. I've seen it on the poverty side, and I've seen it on the wealth side. I've seen it on the poverty side. Oh, we're so good. We're so blessed. We're so honored because we have nothing, because we're poor as dirt, and they exalt themselves and get in spiritual pride because they have nothing. But on the flip side of that, 
I've also seen, especially in a lot in American church and here in the West, a lot of churches that, that are so prosperity-minded, amen, that, that wealth comes into them and they get into a spiritual pride because of, of, of merely because of the finances that they have. It's absolutely insane. It's absolutely insane. That I've become so rich. Amen. That I don't need your I don't need your help, Lord. Don't fall into the trap of thinking that material blessing that you have upon your life means, means that God is in approval of everything that you're doing. Amen. Material wealth does not mean that everything is, is just perfect in your life. Amen. See, many of us draw that conclusion. Oh, I have, I have a lot of stuff, man. God, God favors me. Everything's grand. Everything's grand. And what does that do? Praise God. God may be putting things in your hand, maybe blessing you with things. But listen, church, if we, if we allow ourselves to think everything's grand, I don't need to press in anymore because I have all this wealth. I don't need to study. I don't need to pray. I don't need to do these things anymore because I got enough money to take care of myself now. Church, that's, uh, that's the first step into spiritual mediocrity which will be destruction. Listen, God wants to prosper his church. I mean, but he doesn't want to do it with, with, uh, with the result of you going into the ditch and walking away from him. Huh? Come on now. He says, because you say I'm, in, I'm rich and I've increased in goods, I have need of nothing. Where it says, I am rich, this, this word from the Greek here, straight from the lexicon, it says that it means to be, they're saying literally, I've become so rich, I've become wealthy. I've become so rich, I've become wealthy. I have so much material wealth, I don't need anything at all. I don't need anything at all. Everything I have, everything that's been stored up for me, it'll take care of every need that I have. I'm able to work, I have the ability to work, and I've been so blessed this is the fruit of my labor. And listen, this opens up that door, another door. It opens up another door here to, to, to like a nationalistic pride, if you will. You say, why is that? Because they're like, listen, I deserve these things. I'm a Laodicean. This is the way our city rolls. I deserve these things. And it's my right to have this. And just like their city spiritual climate, they wanted everyone to see how blessed, how wealthy, how prosperous, how independent they were. And what happened? They began to come interior focused. Interior focused. I mean, we need to be interior focused in the church here, but we also got to be externally focused. Amen. But we see when we focus on everything that God's put in our hands, Listen, it makes us it makes us very interior focused. Let me let me let me just let me just unveil something to you, because I know I know it's people's desire that it's like, man, I just I want more stuff. I want this. I want that. I want this. I want that. I see that person has this. That church has this. You know, I want this. I want that home. I want this car. Oh, yeah, we 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 can get so materially focused. Listen, listen, listen to me clearly, church. Listen, the more stuff you have. The more stuff you have, the more time, the more effort, and the more money it takes to take care of them. Amen. I'm not saying it's not a blessing to have things. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying, listen, the more stuff you have, 
You have three, four houses. Listen, church. And you have to take care of all of them because they're all holiday homes here. And listen, 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 church. I mean, it takes more money. It takes more time. It takes more effort to keep these things up. Is that, is that really what God wants for you? Huh? I'm telling you, it's like some of the church, it's like we need to come back into a state of leanness in the church while still believing for the great things and big things from God, wealth from God, but, but enter in a state of leanness. I mean, to where it's not all about material junk that this world has to offer, but, but bring forth wealth to me so I can flow it out and I begin again to do the things that God desires to do in the kingdom. We can begin to build churches. We can begin to you know, send out missionaries. We can begin to do whatever it is that the Lord's desiring to do. Take care of the poor. Do, do things that Bible says to do, which takes money. Hmm? It's not all just stirred up for ourselves. Hallelujah. You know, I've come to this place, you know, show you some of the dark things in ministry, you know. You know, I, most of y'all know I grew up a business owner. And, and in business, I, I, I knew how to pay employees. I knew how to give salaries. I knew bonuses, insurance. I knew all the things that you should do in business for things to be right. Amen. And see, I... When I first started off, you know, everything was about me because I wasn't a Christian then. And, and when God began to shift things in my life, it began to be, listen, listen, if it's not all about me making money, but I want my employees and their families to be blessed. I want them to be honored. Listen, it was amazing. I didn't have a whole lot of turnover in my business anymore. And actually people were blessed. They didn't want to leave that place. I mean, so when I exited out of the business world, now getting involved in ministry, I didn't exit out yet. I was still in business, but, but I, was, I was stepping into ministry. I wanted to learn how things were operating in ministry. So I've been around a lot of pastors, a lot of, you know, ministerial leaders, people have international businesses. And I, you know, I come up to them and say, listen, how do, how do things work in ministry? How, how, do, how do we do payroll? How, how do we do, do we do insurance? Do we, how do we do some of these things? And, and some of these people that have a lot of money in their ministries, it blew me away. The things that they told me. Oh, well, we don't pay our staff very much. We keep them right on that line because we want them to learn how to stand in faith. Well, do you provide them with insurance? No, 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 no. We, we, don't, we don't provide them with insurance. Now, I have insurance, you know, but, but, but we don't provide them with insurance because, you know, we want them to learn how to stand in faith. We want to learn that. How many of y'all know that, listen, many times when people walk out of the world system and try to step into ministry, listen, it's a step of faith just to go, just to go into ministry. You don't have to teach someone how to stand in faith. I mean, most of this stuff is, is derived, listen, from, is derived from our own personal greed because we have so much stuff. We need to take care of it. And if I'm going to take care of this, I can't take care of you either. You learn how to take care of yourself. I got all this other junk. I got plans, I got houses, I got, I got all kinds of good stuff I got to take care of. You need to learn how to stand in faith like I do, even though they're getting a, a CEO's wage. Hmm? I'll tell you, it's just like, it's, it's just like this. Listen, you want to learn how to, to stand in faith? This is how I learned to teach people. We, we have one, the first person we, we hired on staff in Island Church. We're sitting there talking. You know, listen, what, what is it that you make now? What is it that you need to be able to take care of your family? Because we, want, we, want we don't want you to, to scrape by. We want you to be blessed. We want you to be honored. 
Amen. This is a big step you're making. What, what is it that you need to do? Well, well how, much, how much does the, the church have to pay? We, we don't have anything. The church couldn't pay you 2,000 2, pounds a year to put you on staff. But you tell me what you need and we'll come into agreement as the Word of God says. Because the Bible tells us if any two people come together as touching anything on earth that they shall ask, it shall be done by the Father that is in heaven. So let me show you my faith. Give me your hand. What do you need? Let's come into agreement. And what happens? The finances begin to show up. Why? Because our God is a God of the world. He is a God of the word, not a God of the world. We want to teach people how to stand in faith. Listen, we, we better learn how to stand in faith. We do, it by, we do it by revealing the faith that's in us. Oh, come on, church. This is how we teach people to be in faith. Not, I'm going to put you in poverty and see if you can come out of it. We'll see how strong your faith is. Hmm? Come on now. So the question here is, can, can riches or wealth, can it callous your spiritual perception? Can riches or wealth, can it callous your spiritual perception? Because, you know, Jesus said all the time, he goes, man, it's very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Can wealth or riches, can it callous your spiritual perception? It all depends on what your faith is in. He desires prosperity for you, but it all depends on what your faith is in. If your faith is in your bank account, you'll end up becoming a hoarder. If your faith is in God, you'll be a giver and a giver and a giver. And it all depends on where your faith is, church. He says here, he says, because you say that I'm rich, I'm in need of nothing. I have need of no thing. He says, but you know not. That you're wretched, you're miserable, you're poor, you're blind, and you're, re- and you're uh, wretched, poor, blind, and you're naked. I love that. He says, you know us not. This is that Greek word, oida, again. So he's, he's revealing this. Listen, you don't even have a clue who you say you are. You think you're something, but you're really not. He says, you say you're this. He says, but let, let me actually tell you what you really are, because you don't know, you don't actually have an account of who you are for yourself. This carnal facade you put on for everyone else, I don't see it. I look at the heart. He says, and I'm going to tell you something. He goes, you're wretched. You're wretched. That word is afflicted, to be miserable. The lexicon says it literally means to be beaten down, from continued strain, leaving a person full of calluses. Now that gives a new meaning to that word, doesn't it? He says, you think, you think you're great, you think you're glorious and beautiful. He goes, but you're actually wretched. You've been beat down so much. I mean, that you're, that you're full of calluses. Does anyone know what calluses do? You know, calluses are these things like we get on our hands and we get on our feet where you have a lot of excess work, uh, work going on. And then what does it do? It protects the sensitive spots underneath it. So it begins to pile up skin over skin over skin. God, I'm, God is so amazing. I mean, he gives us calluses. It's actually like having a glove on your hand or shoes on your feet without actually having them. 
Why? Because that's how our God created us. He's absolutely amazing. You know, Brother Shola, I was over in uh, Saudi Arabia, you know, years ago, uh, back when I was in university. And there's some, there some Bedouins. We're out in the middle of the desert, and I was working on an oil rig out there. And there's, there were Bedouins walking out. And the, these little kids, these little Bedouins came, came up. And I looked down at them, and they were walking barefooted. Barefooted. In Saudi Arabia, it was over 50 degrees there. Over 50 degrees, I'm telling you, I dropped a wrench on the ground and it was there for like 15 seconds and it burnt my hand picking it up off of that sand. And these little Bedouin children are walking around barefooted like it's nothing. Why? Because they had calluses, such deep, thick, probably two-inch calluses. They had shoes on their feet without having shoes. I mean, calluses are good, amen, and the natural. They're good in the natural. Why? Because they, they protect the sensitive parts. But church and the spirit, they're deadly. They're deadly in the spirit. Why? Because it covers up all the sensitive parts. It covers up everything that's sensitive. Amen. We, we need to allow ourselves to rip off our spiritual calluses, the wretchedness. Amen, to where we can begin to hear from Holy Spirit's leading again. Because listen, you're callous, you can't hear from him. You say, what does that look like? It's like when the Holy Spirit asks you to do something over and over and over again, or asks you to quit doing this or to, to do this, and you don't do it. And then all of a sudden, you know, you wake up one day and you're like, man, it doesn't seem like the Holy Spirit talks to me very much anymore. I get people tell me that all the time. Yeah, you used to talk to me, you don't talk to me anymore. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. You're just calloused. You're calloused. Your heart's callous and it can't hear from Holy Spirit. I mean, so we need to be brave. We need to be courageous people and begin to reach in on the inside of us and rip off these calluses. Why? Because we want to be sensitive. How do we get to be sensitive? Anytime he asks you to do something, you step out and do it. You don't need to hold a 10-day prayer meeting. You don't need to ask all 50 of your friends to make sure everyone's in agreement. No, if the Holy Spirit asks you to do something, do it. Well, what if I'm wrong? He'll correct you. He'll correct you. Step out and do what the Lord's asking you to do. And don't allow the blessings of God. Don't allow the blessings of God become a curse in your life. God desires to bless you. Don't allow it to become a curse. Don't allow it to desensitize you because you get more infatuated with what he's blessed you with and you get infatuated with the blesser the one who's blessed you. Amen. We need to become kingdom-minded, not interior-minded. Listen, let me finish up here. Hallelujah. He says, he says, but you are wretched. You're miserable. You're miserable. You're poor. You're blind. You're naked. Miserable, this is a word pitiable. From the lexicon, it means, which I found very interesting, it means to be in need of mercy. He says, you don't know who you are. You think, you're, you think you're, you're smooth and your skin's perfected. He says, I'm telling you, you're calloused. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you think, you think everything's great in your life. You're actually in need of mercy. You need great mercy from me, but you can't see it. You can't hear it because you think everything's perfected in you. He said, you actually need your mercy. You actually need my mercy. He says, you're poor. You claim to be rich, came to be the richest of all. He says, but I'm telling you, you're the poorest of all. You're spiritually impoverished. You're spiritually impoverished. What does that mean? 
That means, church, the garden that you're building up on the inside of you, you don't have enough to fill up yourself. You don't have enough to eat on yourself. And you definitely don't have enough to give to other people around you. Spiritually impoverished. Dangerous. He says you're blind. I love this one. That's a Greek word, tuflos. And it means not blind like your eyes have gone blind. It means blind like there is smoke in the room. There's a, there's a smoke in the room where things have been darkened by smoke or it's become opaque. You know, kind of like if you go into, into a smoky pub or you, you see on the stage and there's people up there and there's smoke up there and you can't really see what's going on because, because things aren't clear because all the smoke and it's become opaque, right? He says, Jesus is saying, listen, you have a smoke screen that's been lifted around you because of your self-exaltation. Amen, that you can't actually see your true spirituality anymore. You're not digging because you can't see it anymore. You got that facade, the smoke screen around you. And the last one here, he says, you're naked. Naked, that can mean stark naked or it can mean one that's walking around in their undergarments. Mm-hmm. You see, the Greeks and the Romans, you know, they pride themselves on the, on the clothing they wore. Why? Because it was a show of their status. Just like it is today. Oh, look at me, I'm wearing a $2,000 suit or oh, I'm wearing something from Versace or whatever. It's a status symbol. And man, they prided them. This wealthy city, they provided, they prided themselves on what they're wearing. And Jesus says, listen, listen, guys, you think, you think you're wearing beautiful clothing? He goes, but you're actually naked. He goes, I don't, I don't see, I don't see the nice things you're wearing. I see you're naked. You know, kind of like churches where we think, you know, you know, the anointing is derived from how how beautiful the worship team looks up on stage or, or how, how wonderful or how, how your, you know, your spirituality of your pastor is, how he dresses. Church, there's actually blogs on how pastors dress. Absolutely disgusting. Disgusting. It says, you think you're dressed well. It says, but you're actually walking around in your spiritual underwear and you don't even recognize it. You've traded, you've traded in, you've exchanged your robe of righteousness, you've exchanged your, your garment of praise for Versace, hmm? for Gucci. What a poor state to be in. What a poor state to be in. Listen, church, as I'm saying this things, listen, a lot of this has to do with financial things because this is with the state that the church was in. And Jesus isn't saying these things because he doesn't, or because he was disappointed that they're rich or they're wealthy. No, he's the one that gave them the ability to be that way. Amen? That was part of their inheritance. It wasn't a curse, but their inheritance became a curse to them. You know, Galatians 3.13 says that, that, that uh, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us for for is written, Cursed of any man who hangs upon a tree, that the blessings of Abraham may come upon the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. We might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. I mean, he's redeemed us from the curse of poverty. He's redeemed us from the curse of sickness. He's redeemed us from the curse of these things. He wasn't irritated that they had financial wealth. He doesn't look at material things. Listen, church, if, we, if you can understand this, listen, it will help you. Jesus does not look at your material wealth. He looks at the wealth of your heart. He knows you need things here on this earth, but he looks at the wealth of your heart. He measures your heart. 
in all things, not, not what you have. Why? Because he's looking at your spiritual climate. He, he doesn't pay attention to the natural. Huh? Those things are tools for us in the natural, not to, not to rule our lives. Amen. See, this church, they came to the place and said, man, I'm so rich, man. They became prideful and arrogant in what they began to provide and said, listen, I provide these things for myself. I don't even know if I need him anymore. I don't know if I need Jesus anymore. I can take care of my own self. Amen. So listen, as you sit in this house, amen, you allow, you allow us, you allow the ministers to begin to teach you the truths of the, of the principles of, of the kingdom of God. Listen, remember, 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 because listen, when you begin to participate and your heart becomes pure, listen, things are going to get poured into your hands. Keep your eyes off the things that are poured into your hands. Keep your eyes off of what God is able to bless you with. Keep, keep your eyes, and keep your eyes solely upon the Christ, solely upon Jesus. Amen. As revelation comes upon you, and, you're, and you can walk around and say, I got more revelation than most other churches. Healing comes upon you. Oh, I've been healed. I've, I've laid hands on people that have gotten healed. You have anointing that comes upon you, prosperity that comes upon you. Come to the place of understanding that this is for you to come upon you, not so you can build yourself up and exalt yourself and, and keep it all hidden up on the inside. No, it's on you for one reason and one reason only, so you can begin to give it to people around you. So you can be given to the people of this city. As Matthew 10, 8 says, when he was sending out his crew, he says, heal the sick, go cleanse the lepers, cast out devils. He goes, freely I've given unto you. Freely give. May everything in this house become an inward, outward flow. May Jesus have the ability to flow things in you because he can trust that it won't stay with you. They'll begin to flow into the people that are around us. So, so I'll leave you with this. Freely you have received, and whatever that may be, freely you have received, freely give. Freely give. So Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. So we thank you, Lord for your word, Lord. I, I thank you, Lord, for this rebuke unto this church, Lord. It was, it was something that got me straight years ago to where you could actually begin to pour into me because you could trust that I wasn't going to use it for selfish purposes. You poured anointing. You poured healing. You poured finances. You poured the kingdom. So Lord, as we hear these things, Lord, I pray these same things for, for my family here. Lord, that as, as their hearts come in union and deeper communion and union with you, Lord, and you begin to pour out the kingdom upon them because it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. There's greater anointings coming. There's greater finances coming. There's greater deliverances coming. There's greater healings coming. And when these revelations begin to come upon us, Lord, that we don't get selfish with them. So we begin to pour them out that we begin to get other people wet as we're wet. That we begin to love on them. As you have loved on us. Lord, we honor you, we honor you, we honor you. Teach us to be trustworthy stewards of your kingdom. We don't want to bury it in the ground. 
but we want great harvest. Great harvest. Not just coming into our lives, Lord, but great harvest for the kingdom. For Jesus is all about you. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else, nothing else. Lord, we love you, Lord. We adore you. Lord, we receive your word. We confess your word. We take a hold of Psalms 91 that no evil will fall us. Neither shall any plague come nigh our dwelling place. Lord, if you give your angels charge of us, Lord, we have that revelation. We guard it. We grab a hold of it. Lord, and we release it unto the people. We say that even as, as it can't come even to our houses, Lord, we thank you, Lord, our neighbors, that sickness is beginning to be removed just because we're staying next to them, Lord. The people that are walking down the streets, Lord, we come into them, Lord, just because people come into our presence, Lord, may we be so full of your glory, Lord, that people begin to get healed just by talking to us. Neither shall any plague come to our dwelling place. Lord, you give your angels charge over us. Lord, there is no wicked plan from a wicked man or the devil himself shall come against us or harm us. We are the blessed of God because we are the children of God. And we glorify you for it. We thank you for it. Why? We're people that dwell in the secret place of the Most High. We abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Teach us to be more spiritual people than we are naturally. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord, for the righteous labor of our hands. Lord, as we go to work this week, Lord, we thank you that we're a blessing to the places that we're employed at. Lord, they're blessed because we're there. They're financially stable because we're there. Recessions won't come upon them because we're there. Lord, give us opportunities, Lord, to minister unto the sick. Minister your goodness. Minister salvation. May we be a miracle in someone's life. Those people that have been watching us, Lord, listening to us, may your goodness be revealed unto them this week. May we wreak absolute havoc in Satan's life this year. This year, this month, this week. Hallelujah. May he ever regret setting up his throne in this city. We thank you, Lord. We glorify you for it. We honor you. Mm, we honor you. We thank you for the ambassadors of Christ you've called each and every one of us to be, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Here at Island Church, Lord, we are covered by the blood. We're empowered by your word, Lord. We are anointed by the Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.